And welcome to another edition of Book Talk. I'm Linda Lloyd, and today my guest is Anne Byrne. We'll be talking about her book, A New Take on Cake. You may know Anne better as the Cake Mix Doctor. Her latest book has some recipes you may recognize as old favorites, but with new versions to downsize to the new cake mix sizes. She also gives us new flavors, new shapes of pans, new methods for baking and frostings, as well as vegan, gluten-free, or recipes for someone who needs to follow a sugar-free diet. Plus, they're very easy to follow, no matter your baking skills. How did the original Cake Mix Doctor come into being? I wrote a newspaper story in Nashville for the Nashville Tennessean, and it was about these cakes that you could bake. I was about to go on vacation with my family, and these were recipes that we had had in our family for a long time. They all started with a box of cake mix. So I wrote a story, and I said, you know, it's summertime. Let's not spend a lot of time in the kitchen. I'm going to tell you this is how you do it. And you just start with a box of cake mix, and you add some apricot nectar, or you add some sour cream and chocolate chips. And so these were my mother's recipes and Anne's recipes. And then I put a little line at the bottom and I said, send me your favorite recipes to doctor up a cake mix. And when I got back from vacation, I was flooded with mail. And that's how it all started. And I wrote sequels to that story. And then I realized the story was going out on wire services across the country. And I thought this could be a book. And that's how I turned it into the cake mix doctor. And it's been such a success. How many times has it been reprinted over the years? Dozens and dozens. Let's just say that for sure. The first book was the most successful. And that one, I believe, is almost 2 million copies. Wow. Yes. And then there were sequels through the years. I did a chocolate version and a cupcake and a gluten-free. And then I wrote The Dinner Doctor. So there, you know, there were probably seven or eight books that I did right there with Workman Publishing. Well, in The Cake Mix Doctor, and I'm referring back to that because it kind of set the basis for this new one, I guess. You had a timeline and a history for cake mixes. Why did home cooks start using cake mixes anyway? Well, I think that they were marketed heavily after World War II. You know, cake mixes had been in development before World War II, and then it kind of paused with the war effort. And then they were brought to the supermarkets after it. And I think it was just one of the many convenience products, you know, that was put out to appeal to a lot of women who had been working, you know, during the war effort and then had decided to stay in the workforce. I think we tend to think of the 1950s as being sort of bucolic suburban time with ranch homes and lots of children and station wagons. And that was true. But I think, too, there were still a lot of women who stayed in the workforce. You know, the TV dinners and all of those sort of shortcut products came during that period, and Cake Mix was just one of them. Well, I've got to tell you about two quotes that I really like from that book. Mixes are homemade cake. I like that (laughs) because my mother said she would rather dig ditches than cook, and she was much better at ditches than she was at cooking. So we would never have had a homemade cake without a mix. And then the other one was, (laughs) you also said purist may flinch. And one of my friends calls that food shaming. Where did we all get the idea that for a cake to be good, it had to be baked from scratch with all of the chemistry involved in that? You know, I think it really is how you're raised. As frightening as that can be, you know, you think about it. 
we are a product of what's, you know, been baked for us and at home, how we've been raised in a home. You might have a mother or an aunt or a grandmother who baked from scratch, and you might have them that are very busy and are not going to use anything but a mix and are going to trust, as they say, Mr. Hines, you know, for and everything and, or Mrs. Crocker. So I think it depends on your frame of reference. You know, when I wrote The Cake Mix Doctor, that was 20 years ago. People were pretty snobby about cake mixes and, you know, that they're not from scratch. But I think the landscape is completely different this go around. We had a gathering that I took. The chocolate slab cake with the caramel frosting. Oh, nice. The clementine cake. Oh, nice. And the ginger pear loaf. Well, one of my friends came up, started asking questions, especially about the clementine cake, because she'd never had anything like that before. And I said, well, you know, this is an author that I'm going to be interviewing in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I just wanted to try some things. And she said, well, it was just delicious. And I said, well, starts with a cake mix. (gasps) Oh, you know, she was just floored that I would use a cake mix. She said, I have never bought a cake mix. I told her, I said, well, you're really missing the boat on that then. I mean, why would you want to do all the chemistry and worry about how much baking powder or whatever when you can just start with this really easy thing? I know people like your friend and it's funny and they are surprised. And that is a great cake, that Clementine cake. And you know, it's always tell people if you're going to just do one thing to a cake mix, just one thing different, swap out the water for orange juice. There is something about orange juice that will completely transform a box cake mix And that Clementine cake is a good example. All those kind of citrusy cakes, you just have no idea it started with a box. Absolutely none. And the frosting was so good and so easy to make and looks so pretty. Oh, thank you. But you went through a lot of trouble. You you made the curd and everything. I know. That's the easiest curd I've ever made. I don't know how you perfected that. But a lot of times, you know, you go buy a recipe and then it still is a big fail. And that was not first time perfect. Excellent. Well, we had fun with that because it was kind of coming up with the curd formula. So say you wanted to make a lemon curd or a lime curd or a clementine curd or a grapefruit curd. All you have to do is use the same formula and you need X amount of juice. So, How long did it take you to come up with a recipe like that? You know, when you're starting from scratch with a brand new one. You know, I knew going into this book that I was going to update 50 of the Cake Mix Doctor Classic recipes. So I already kind of had those listed. And I wanted to come up then with new things. And I knew a lot of the new things that people had asked me to do were more cookies, more bars and snack cakes, because they're easy. And then I also looked at new flavors that, you know, I like and that I'm cooking with and that I'm attracted to that maybe... I didn't mention 20 years ago. And Clementine is an example of that. And I think, you know, just in our stores, we have so much more citrus than we used to and different types of citrus. So, you know, why use carton orange juice if there's beautiful Clementines, a big old sack of them, you know, on sale, slice them in half and juice them. They have a lot of juice. Also, I didn't realize, and I started asking girlfriends about it, I didn't realize cake mixes had changed in volume. Yes, it was about, I'm going to guess, around 10 years ago. It was about 2010 because I remember where I was when I got the first email about it. I was looking at colleges with my middle child. We were in Ohio 
And I think I had pulled into a parking lot and was checking my email. And lo and behold, I get an email from a reader saying, I just went to the supermarket and you're not going to believe this. But the cake mixes are no longer 18.25 ounces. They have gone down three ounces. And I went, good gracious. So, you know, all I immediately thought was, what? is everybody going to do with these recipes that they've been making for 10 years or more? And that really is how I spent a lot of the last few years is answering emails on how you can fix this cake or that one. And so, you know, that was a big part of writing this new book as well was saying, okay, if I'm going to update these 50 cake mix doctor recipes, they've all got to be able to work with the smaller cake mixes. You know, you lose three ounces and it makes a difference. We had to do a little finagling on some some recipes. It didn't phase, but some it did. And that was the challenge, I think, on testing this book, was making recipes that everybody really loved, like the almond cream cheese pound cake. That's a good example. You know, it just didn't work as well because it had cream cheese in it and it was all had oil and it was a fairly heavy cake. It needed those three ounces. So we had to do a little fixing on that one to get it to work. And we did. But that was fun too. In the Cake Mix Doctor, you really very well explained everything that's in that cake mix from emulsifiers, all of that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. How has that changed over the last 20 years? I think, you know, they're basically the same. I do think with the reduction, um, smaller mixes, they lost some substance. It's almost as if they took out, you know, some flour and maybe, you know, they say it works just as well. It does not. If you bake a box by its directions, you know, you're not going to be happy with the cake that you get because it's smaller. It's just going to be smaller. That would be my only gripe, which is all the more reason you need my recipes because you need to kind of build it up. To me, there's a difference in some of the brands. I think Pillsbury Yellow has a lot of food coloring in it. It's just not my thing. You know, I would rather pick the mix that doesn't seem like a cake mix, and then I can add my touches, and it does sort of fool your friends. Do you have a favorite mix? Well, right now, I I probably lean to Betty Crocker. I think, uh, yeah, I do. And I like the butter recipe. I like that mix. I find it doesn't have the amount of yellow food coloring in it. It doesn't have any strong flavors. So to me, it's kind of like a blank canvas. And I can do a lot to it. I think all the chocolate mixes are pretty good. They're all pretty similar. And chocolate is a really great way, like if you want to fool somebody, you know, there's very little you really need to do to a chocolate mix. I mean, it improves with a little bit of instant pudding added, Mm -hmm. chocolate instant pudding. And I have a couple of recipes in the book where I actually melt chocolate, like chocolate chips or bittersweet chocolate and fold that in. That's a really great thing to do because then that changes the texture of the cake and it makes it a more substantial, almost like a homemade pound cake. So it's really nice. I think the chocolate slab cake has chocolate chips, it does. doesn't it? Yeah, that's what You're I was right. thinking when we were putting it together. I thought, and it, it's a huge cake. It's definitely made for a crowd. That was so easy. And then Good. you end up with two cakes, basically, if you wanted to even stack them, I guess you could. You could stack them and make a layer cake. You could bake one, freeze half. There's lots of things. I love those slab cakes. And you know, and they're really inexpensive. There's a recipe in the book called birthday cake for 50. And I cost out 
that recipe because I said, I want to see what it's going to cost me. And that has two mixes in the recipe. So you make it in a sheet pan that has, you know, rim, like an inch rim sides on it. And it bakes up pretty tall. And it's like 10 or 15 cents a serving frosting. Wow, that's great. It's cheap. So if you got to bring it into a party or you're doing a party at your house, you know, and you're splurging on some things and you just want a big platter of cake, it's a great way to go. And you're not spending 40 and $50 at a bakery. Well, I liked your refresh on the Costco cake because I thought that was pretty interesting because, you know, that's the go-to right now for everybody that has a large gathering is, oh, well, we'll just go to Costco. It is, and, you know, and I was not a, an aficionado of the Costco cake, but I, we did that last year during the pandemic when we were testing recipes. And then it was all in the news, you know, that Costco had pulled their sheet cakes for whatever reason, either weren't selling or they didn't want people to gather in large groups. So I thought, well, let's just make one, you know. Exactly. And so I looked online at some recipes and and then I learned, I didn't know that it had this custard filling and people had come up with all these different hacks. They call it like a cheesecake filling or something. It's just pudding. So that was a really fun one to do. And that makes a massive cake, really massive. So big crowd. Well, now I noticed in this one, you also added a section on beating the cake batter. How crucial is the beating when you're doing one of these? Not really crucial. I mean, the good thing about cake mixes is that they have been formulated for idiots, you know, really. Neither one of us, but they're just formulated that if you know nothing, they are going to rise. Okay. So say that. If it makes you feel good to get out your, you know, mixer and beaters and beat it up, which it does when you add your eggs, then use it. But if you're in a complete hurry and you don't want to wash the beaters and you don't want to pull out the mixer, just get a big bowl and a wooden spoon and you can pull together. And I think on some of the recipes, I do list how many strokes, you know, you can stir it for it to come together. So the worst thing you can do to a cake mix is to overbeat it. And you really don't need the big KitchenAid for these kind of recipes, maybe for the frostings and certainly for the whipped cream frostings, but not to make the cake. Because if you overwork them, if you can actually create the tunnels in it, which are sort of like those little holes that go through the Mm -hmm. cake, where you've just overbeat the batter. Well, this time I actually used a timer for that one minute of beating, because I do tend to overbeat or underbeat, and then you end up with the flour or the mix throughout it, you know. Yeah, it's easier to overbeat a cake mix cake. And I'm with you because, you know, you get distracted, the meter's going. Sometimes I will use just a hand mixer. I have a nine-speed KitchenAid hand mixer that I love, and it's perfect for cake mix cakes. Yeah, I always use the hand one too, unless, like you say, you're doing something that has to be, you know, faster or whip better or whatever. Yeah. Another thing that you also don't recommend using is the oil and flour based baking sprays. I'm kind of old school, you know, when it comes to prepping a pan. I also feel like people, uh, you should be able to use what you like. I'm not going to say you can't use it, but if you want 
a bun to come out of the pan every single time and never stick. And if you want the batter to come out of one of the decorative buns that have all the different grooves and designs, use Crisco and flour. You know, paint the pan. I actually have a little pastry brush about an inch wide and I will dip it in a little, about a little jar, the little can of Crisco <clears throat> and dip it in that. And I paint the inside of that pan, all the little grooves, dust it with flour and a cake has never stuck. And I learned that from one of the Nordicware home economists years ago. I was on QVC at the same time they were, and they were just popping out cakes like crazy. And I was like, how come nothing has stuck? And they said, well, we always use Crisco and flour. And I said, well, that's what my mother and grandmother used. Now, if you're making a sheet cake or something that, you know, might stay in the pan or is easy to release, or maybe you've got a sheet of parchment in the bottom of it, you can just use a vegetable spray. The one thing I really don't like is Pam because the Pam products have propellants in them, which are mm -hmm. alcohols. And that will increase the temperature on the on your pan and it will cause the edges of a white cake to bake dark and get tough. So if you've noticed that you're baking uh, white and yellow cakes and the edges are really dark, that darker than you like, it might be because you're using Pam. Well, I have to agree on that because we used Pam on the Cinnabon cake, which was my husband's mm -hmm. favorite. He's a big oh, cinnamon roll fan, so that was one that he definitely wanted to try. And so I used the Pam baking spray. Mm -hmm. Well, that one mm -hmm. didn't turn out. So interesting. We did the Italian cream cake. It came out perfectly using the Crisco and flour method. Same type of pan, I think. Aren't they both in? Springform. Yeah. Springform. Yeah. Pans. yeah. One came out, the other one didn't. So, I mean, it was just the difference in the methodology, I think. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Springform is really fun to use for layers, for cakes in general. I love it. And that's a, that's a new pan for this book. Um, because I think if you have, you know, most, a lot of people know it as the cheesecake pan, but if you have a nine inch spring form, you know, you can make one layer cake or you can split it in half horizontally, you know, and fill it and frost it. So it's like a layer cake. It's just so versatile. You can do so much in it. I love it. Well, I'm glad you brought that up about the pans. I was going to ask you, how did you develop this new type of pan and shapes and like I had never baked on a sheet pan before I use it for all kinds of other stuff but never for baking until the chocolate slab I cook a lot and I bake a lot and I'm also kind of always looking to see what other people are doing kind of what you know I look at I'm on Instagram and just seeing what kind of cakes are out there I look at other cookbooks and I think there has been a trend in the last few years to more snacking what they call snacking cakes that are baked in like a nine by 13 pan or larger into, you know, in a sheet pan and called a slab. So I think that's been a trend because it's easy. There's no stacking. Definitely, I wanted to bake some of these cakes in slabs. And then as far as the cheesecake goes, it's something I learned, I don't know, back when I was just maybe going and doing book signings and having cakes to display, how easy it was just to pour a cake like said the Tres Leches cake into a cheesecake pan. And then when it comes out of the oven, you can poke holes in it. You can pour a glaze over it. You can, in the case of Tres Leches, you pour a milk syrup over it and you put it back in the fridge and it sits. And it's like, I think I could do this for every cake in the book. And so that was like a revelation. And the other, the other pan similar is the loaf. 
you know, and I have a big, it's a 10 inch loaf and they're not as common as the kind of standard nine inch loaf. It's a little larger, but if you love to bake and if you want to bake some kind of different cakes, I highly recommend a 10 inch loaf pan because you can make all of the bunt cakes, all of the pound cakes in the book can be made in that loaf. And then you don't need to frost it. You just slice it like Starbucks does and, and you're done. Well, I'm glad you brought that up too. I got all the ingredients out, got everything ready to make the ginger pear loaf. Then I realized I didn't have a big loaf pan anymore. You didn't have the 10 inch. Yeah. No, I not even a big one. I had the mini <laughs> loaf pans. So I had two of those. So I got those out and thought, okay, well, I can share, you know. And then I ended up using my mother's bright orange old Fire King, like half casserole size for the rest. Uh It turned out perfectly. Oh, great. You gave me the confidence to do that. Good, good. Well, I do believe I've got in there some equivalencies because I knew that this was going to happen. And I knew a lot of people would not have a 10 inch. So I believe we say in the loaf chapter how to make a nine inch and what to do with the rest. You know, if you don't have a 10 inch, what you can do, but you got creative. So that's perfect. I now have a Nordic wear 10 inch loaf pan. For next time. Yeah, because that was a great recipe and I want to make it again. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Why did you think it was important to identify recipes, create recipes for all the different lifestyles, the gluten-free, sugar-free, you know, all of those kinds of things that you included? And then I didn't realize that you had out a gluten-free cookbook. I've actually written two gluten-free books. Those people have asked me years ago to write something gluten-free because maybe they had been following the cake mix doctor and baking my recipes and they needed for whatever reason to go gluten-free. So I dedicated two books to them. But at the beginning of this new book, I do mention gluten-free baking, vegan baking, sugar-reduced baking, baking for smaller households, and baking on a budget. To me, those five things were probably the biggest five trends of where I see baking today. And so, you know, I am a journalist first, you know, newspaper journalist all my life. And, you know, now I'm a news, I have a newsletter called Between the Layers on Substack. I couldn't write a book like this without addressing these five trends. So, you know, for the gluten-free people, I'm saying you've got gluten-free cake mixes on the shelf. I've got some recipes in here that are gluten-free, but any others, you should be able to use your gluten-free cake mixes and make this cake. Vegan, here's how you do it. You got to use an egg substitute. I highly recommend coconut milk, you know, in the pantry. Great, great addition. And similar to um, the smaller households, I talk about different pans that you can use, how to split a recipe. And then I think to sugar reduce, that is probably of all the overarching theme to this new take on cake is the fact that you don't need so much frosting. We don't need so much frosting. We don't need added sugar of putting a lot of frosting on a cake. These recipes really reflect the way that I bake today, which is healthier. The other group, baking on a budget. I think that is has always been a hallmark of cake mixes and baking with cake mixes is that it's affordable. This really came home to me on writing this book, especially during the pandemic when, you know, groceries were hard to come by, people were out of work. And I interviewed people for this book, too, on how they really grew up in a household where money was tight, but their mother made beautiful cakes. 
And she made beautiful cakes that started with a mix, you know, and it's what she did to them. And it was sort of the artistry and the creativity that that cook lends to the mix. And that really hit home. And I thought, you know, this is a book for everybody because that's the great thing to me about baking and about baking cakes is that anybody can do, you know, the beauty of a cake mix is that it's affordable. You can buy them for a buck and how you could take a dollar cake mix and make something gorgeous that you can be proud of, you can gift to other people. That was just something that was forefront of my mind writing this book. Well, and especially during the pandemic, you probably had more time to experiment than you had had in years. I definitely had a good focus, let's say that. And I was really grateful to have this project. And I think that the world is seems different this time than 20 years ago. With the Cake Mix Doctor, I think I mentioned that people were, there were food snobs that only baked from scratch. And then there were people who, like my mother, who would cheat and, you know, pull a cake mix down. This is different. We've got young vegan bakers relying on cake mix. We've got Instagram where cakes are gorgeous and they're everywhere, you know, and my girls, you know, are 31 and 27 and their friends don't care if they start with a cake mix. It's not that important. And then you do have the pandemic effect where people are looking for ways to shortcut inflation, rising grocery prices. So I I don't know. It just feels different this time. And I don't feel like we're in a world where people are going to criticize others because they start with a mix. I have to agree because anything that you do for somebody else, they don't really care. You know, they just appreciate the doing of it. I think you're right. I think we're past that, which is really wonderful and liberating as a writer to be able to just say, okay, here's how to do it, you know? (laughs) And here's how to save some time and not worry about how it's going to come out because it's going to come out beautiful every time. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, I don't know if you watch the British Baking Show. I do watch it from time to time. I'm not a devotee, but I do, and I love it. I am, I guess, because, you know, it's just fun to watch for me. Yes. But this season, they actually had a free from week, and that we watched that last night. Free Mm -hmm. from gluten, free from dairy. I thought, now that's just exactly what I just read about in your book. It's how to do all that. And then there was one baker this season who was vegan all the way. And she was using things I had never even heard of, like aquafaba, which you mentioned in the book. I didn't know what that was until now. So if you buy a can of garbanzo beans, chickpeas, and you drain them to make your hummus, and you save that liquid, and you put that over in your KitchenAid or a food processor or blender on high power, and whip it. It will whip, you know, like a whipped cream. It's crazy. Who ever thought of that? Now, it does work to some extent as an egg replacement in these recipes. And I have a couple recipes that call for it. It is not as stable as whipped cream. So if you're going to use it as a topping, you know, on the top of something, you've got to do it very last minute as a whipped topping on a vegan cake. It doesn't hold. 
not like whipped cream you can put in the fridge, you know, for a couple of hours. You're going to lose some volume there. It also kind of has a funky flavor, sort of a different flavor. I guess it's like a chickpea flavor. So it benefits from a little vanilla. You know, you need to dress it up, maybe a little grated lemon zest. But vegan baking is a whole different wheelhouse. They do add some crazy stuff and some crazy ingredients to their cakes to get them to work. Main problem with vegan baking is there's no structure. There's no eggs. So it's very similar to high altitude baking where you don't have a lot of structure in those cakes, you know, the cakes tend to fall. So I kind of use some of the principles I knew from high altitude baking and then like a higher oven heat. Well, have you already started experimenting for the next book? Not anything in the kitchen, but certainly I am working on uh, a next book and it'll be a little different than this one, but a little bit more research involved in the next book. But I'm sure come spring, I'll be able to disclose a little bit more about it. Well, that's fine. I look forward to reading it when it does come out. When do you think it might be? It will be out fall of 23. Okay, super. Well, maybe we can have you back and we can talk again because this has been fascinating for me. Yeah, yeah, would love it. Okay, thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. Thank you, I've enjoyed it. Good. We've reached the end of our time today. My guest today was Anne Byrne, a.k.a. The Cake Mix Doctor. Her new book is A New Take on Cake, released by Clarkson Potter Publishers, New York. The perfect book for any home cook who likes to bake, but can't always find the time to do it from scratch. I'm Linda Lloyd, and this is Book Talk. Book Talk is produced in the studios of FM 89.3 WYPL Memphis, a service of the Memphis Public Library, a division of the City of Memphis. Book Talk is copyrighted by the Memphis Public Library, all rights reserved.